the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is producing today's program. Clark Hilton is engineering and we're glad to have you with us. Today is Friday and our typical... Decision is to make Friday a day on which we look at the lighter side of the news, which is precisely what we will do after covering some of the day's headlines. We're also going to give away the final two pair of tickets to Trey McLaughlin and the Sounds of Zamar. That concert, by the way, coming up on Sunday, October 6th, 7.30 p.m. at the Newmark Theater on Southwest Broadway. Great, great gospel music. And uh, great harmonies and arrangements and all of that. You can learn more at kpdq.com or you can continue to listen for your opportunity to win a pair of tickets. We'll do that uh, once in the first hour, once in the second hour of today's program. So just a little heads up. Next segment. First opportunity. Just saying. That's just between me and you. Don't spread it around. Taking a look at some of the day's headlines before moving to the lighter side of the news. Top Republicans on Thursday pushed to identify the White House official who told a whistleblower of alleged misconduct by the Trump administration as Democrats ramped up their impeachment inquiry and several apparent Democrats, um, uh, I should say, inconsistencies emerged in the whistleblower's complaint. Republicans specifically questioned why the whistleblower's source in the White House didn't file a complaint themselves, especially given that relevant whistleblower procedures do not protect secondhand complaints. The New York Times reported that the whistleblower is a CIA officer detailed to the White House. Uh, that has not yet been confirmed, but I think later this afternoon there was a, a confirmation, but I haven't... Uh, been able to source that yet. Representative Andy Biggs, a Republican out of Arizona, a member of the House Judiciary Committee, told Fox News Shepard Smith reporting on Thursday that the administration had an apparent leak problem, adding that if they're leaking something that's supposed to be classified, then that probably is criminal in nature, end quote. Meanwhile, an unnamed Ukrainian official told The New York Times that Kiev was not made aware that the U.S. suspended security funds until a month after the president's call with his counterpart. Um, Mr. uh, Zelensky, which calls into question the whistleblower's account and Democrats' argument that there was a quid pro quo for the aid. And it continues ad nauseum. Well, the whistleblower complaint uh, that touched off a political firestorm in Washington was released to the public on Thursday, alleging President Trump used the power of his office to solicit interference from Ukraine in the 2020 election and that White House officials subsequently tried to lock down records of that phone call. The rough transcript of the July call between the president and president president of the U.S., I should say, and President Zelensky was already released a day earlier by the White House. It confirmed that Trump sought to an investigation from Ukraine into the Biden family 
family, though it did not show the president explicitly leveraging U.S. aid, as had initially been suggested in some media reports. The complaint is not a firsthand account of the calls, but goes a step further than the transcript. In the complaint, the whistleblower says that White House officials who heard the call were deeply disturbed by it and that uh, the White House lawyers discussed how to handle the call because of it, the likelihood in the officials retelling that they had witnessed the president abuse his power for personal gain, end quote. Well, the complaint was released by the Democrat-led House Intelligence Committee ahead of Thursday's testimony from Acting Director of National Intelligence Joseph McGuire. During tense testimony, McGuire defended his handling of the complaint while calling the entire controversy unprecedented. His frustration showed at the end when House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff repeatedly pressed him to agree that the matter should be investigated. McGuire stressed that the committee now has all the relevant information and it's up to them to decide how to proceed. And Vermont Governor Phil Scott on Thursday became the first Republican governor to back House Democrats' call for an impeachment inquiry against President Trump. Scott said at a news conference that he wasn't surprised by the allegations that Trump repeatedly urged Ukraine's presidents to look into Democratic presidential candidate Biden because he's watched him over the years. Scott added, however, that he wanted to see more information before taking further action. Other moderate Republican governors have yet to weigh in on the impeachment inquiry. For that matter, other Democrat governors have yet to weigh in either. Meanwhile, former Arizona Senator Jeff Flake made a bold claim on Thursday at the 2019 Texas Tribune Festival when he said at least 35 GOP senators would privately vote for Trump's impeachment. Can he back it up? Again, we'll continue to follow this developing story. Suicide rates among active duty U.S. service members reached a record high in 2018. That's according to a Defense Department report released on Thursday. The suicide rate among active duty service members was 24.8 suicides per 100,000 service members last year. The Pentagon's annual suicide report, or ASR, found up from 21.9 percent the year before and 21.5 percent in 2016. In 2013, there were 18.5 suicides per 100,000 service members, indicating the uptick in the number of individuals ending their own lives. And the Senate on Thursday cleared a spending bill that will fund the government through November 21st, giving lawmakers and the White House more time to reach agreement on the annual appropriations process. The vote was 82 to 15, with all of the no votes coming from Republicans. President Donald Trump is expected to sign the continuing resolution, holding off another partial government shutdown for at least 51 more days. But this could be the first of several stopgap bills amid tense debates about abortion policy and border walls. Now, this isn't the process that they're supposed to engage in, but this reflects their inability to accomplish the basic rudimentary functions of Congress. The Republican-led Senate on Thursday confirmed lawyer Eugene Scalia, son of the late Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia, as President Trump's new labor secretary. The Senate voted along party lines 53-44 to approve Scalia's nomination. And the Senate has confirmed President Trump's choice to be the top civilian leading the army. In a Thursday afternoon voice vote, the Senate confirmed Ryan McCarthy as Army Secretary. McCarthy, who has served as Army Undersecretary since 2017, will fill the role formerly held by Mark Esper until he became Defense Secretary in July. And Chuck Canterbury, President Trump's nominee to serve as head of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms, is likely to see his nomination withdrawn 
due to stringent opposition from Republican members of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Canterbury, who served as the president of the National Fraternal Order of Police, was expected to receive a vote out of committee on Thursday morning, but his nomination was blocked by conservative Republicans who voiced concerns about his stances on gun control. Hey, you're listening to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. In our next segment, we're going to give away the Trey McLaughlin pair of tickets. Uh, the last of, um, of well, this week, Trey McLaughlin and the Sounds of Zamar. They're going to be performing at the Newmark Theater in uh, Portland on Sunday, October 6th, 7.30 p.m. More on that and more of the news when we return. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show on a fun Friday afternoon. We're taking a look at some of the day's news before, well, taking a little turn to the lighter side of the news. But before we do that, we want to give away our, fi- our well, I guess we have one other opportunity, a pair of tickets to the uh, Trey McLaughlin and the Sons of Zamar on Sunday, October 6th, 7.30 p.m. at the Newmark Theater. Uh, by the way, Trey McLaughlin and the Sounds of Zamar, Zamar is a Hebrew word. It's a word for sing, for praise, for making music. They have undoubtedly carved a place for themselves in the music industry through their uh, soul-stirring arrangements of contemporary gospel, musical theater, original composition. Positions. They are great vocalists, and this is going to be a time of praise and worship, and we would love for you to take those tickets and uh, to be a part of that audience. Again, the concert is October 6th at the Newmark Theater. Uh, at, um, that's a Sunday, 7.30 p.m. Again, Trey McLaughlin and the Sounds of Zamar. Uh, the Let's see, caller number, let's make it easy. The first caller, 800-845-2162, 800-845-2162. A pair of tickets to see Trey McLaughlin and the Sounds of Zamar, Sunday, October 6th, 7.30 p.m. at the Newmark Theater. Caller number one, 800-845-2162. Again, we're winding our way through some of the top news stories. The Trump administration is proposing to resettle 18,000 refugees in the United States in the new fiscal year, reducing last year's record low refugee admission ceiling by a further 40 percent. The final ceiling will be decided after consultation with Congress, as required by the Immigration and Nationality Act. But the Departments of State, Homeland Security and Health and Human Services in a report on Congress are proposing an 18,000 limit. That's by far the lowest since the modern U.S. refugee resettlement program began in 1980 when the Refugee Act was enacted. Now, that is in the context of immigration numbers that have also exceeded historic numbers. The Trump administration on Thursday banned all members of the Iranian regime and their family members from entering the United States, a move aimed at stopping regime figures from sending their children to America for schooling and other opportunities. Iranian regime figures have long taken advantage of America's educational institutions, with many sending their children here for college. This will immediately end, according to the Trump administration. And Syrian government forces carried out a chlorine attack in May, the first confirmed violation of the International Accord banning chemical weapons since President Trump authorized a U.S. military strike on Syria in 2018 over its alleged use of poison gas, a new U.S. intelligence assessment says. The episode took place in May the 19th, to be precise, near the village of Kabana, as President Bashar al-Assad's forces sought to subdue resistance in Lakatia province, a senior U.S. official says. That's actually Latakia. 
The U.S. economy grew more slowly in the second quarter. Updated figures are now confirming and is slow growth is expected to persist through the end of the year, largely because of festering trade fight with China. Gross domestic product, the official scorecard for the economy, grew at a 2% annual pace from April to June, the government said Thursday. That was unchanged from the previous estimate. The percentage of foreign-born U.S. residents has reached its highest level in more than a century, according to estimates from the 2018 American Community Survey released yesterday. A record 44.7 million people are foreign-born, or about 13.7% of the U.S. population. That's the highest rate since 1910 and comes amid a highly charged political debate over whether the uh, uh, census survey should include a citizenship question. A subset of the foreign-born figure, the number of people in the U.S., but not a U.S. citizen, held at around 22 million in 2018. And on this day in history, September 28th, 1825, the first locomotive to haul a passenger train is operated by George Stevenson in England. On this day in history, 1964, the government publicly releases the report of the Warren Commission, which concludes that Lee Harvey Oswald had acted alone in assassinating President John F. Kennedy. That uh, report has not been thoroughly embraced by many across the fruited plain. And on this day in history, 1979, Congress gives its final approval to forming the U.S. Department of Education. It wasn't until 1979. And in 1991, on this day, President George Herbert Walker Bush announces it in a nationally broadcast address that he is eliminating all U.S. battlefield nuclear weapons and calls on the Soviet Union to match the gesture. Things have changed in 2019. In 1991, on this day, the Senate Judiciary Committee deadlocks 7 to 7 on the nomination of Clarence Thomas to the U.S. Supreme Court. And finally, on this day in history, 1994, more than 350 Republican congressional candidates gather on the steps of the U.S. Capitol to sign the contract with America. It was a 10-point platform they pledged to enact if voters send a GOP majority to the House, which they did. Well, today is Friday, and on Fridays we try to uh, divert our attention away from the more serious news stories, and at least developing those stories. And we take a look at the lighter side of the news, and that is precisely what we intend to do uh, from this point forward. Starting with our next segment, James Blend will join me in studio, and uh, we'll uh, focus our attention on those things. So hope you will uh, enjoy that for the remainder of today's program. Well, there is a company that's catering to people's fascination with space by planning to build an enormous hotel for tourists who want to experience life beyond Earth's atmosphere. It's the first commercial space hotel to have low-gravity basketball, rock climbing, and, well, much more. The Gateway Foundation plans to build a rotating space station that's going to produce varying rates of artificial gravity, according to its website. Now, it's not going to actually be in space. It's going to be, well, right here. But it creates the kind of atmosphere that you would find in space. Um, Utilizing existing technology from the International Space Station, the accommodations are geared toward guests who want to experience life in space, but in the luxury and comfort of a hotel. The proposed Von Braun Rotating Space Station would be the first space hotel of its kind. Activities on board will include low-gravity basketball, low-gravity trampolining, and rock climbing. The senior design architect for the Von Braun Space Station told Architecture and Design Magazine, 
Um, he's likened the space experience, the space travel experience, to a cruise or going to Disney World, as it will also feature restaurants, bars, concerts, movie screening, and educational seminars. I'm not sure that's all at low or zero gravity, but the Von Braun Space Station will feature privately owned modules used for villas, hotels, or commercial activity, as well as government-owned modules used for research, according to the proposal, anyway. The company plans to be fully operational by 2025. Might be interesting if the Lord wills, and I live that long, with 100 tourists visiting weekly, according to the uh, developer. And while the wealthy will only be able to afford space travel at first, the eventual goal is to make the experience open to everyone. The Gateway Foundation isn't the only company aiming to widen the opportunity for space travel, or at least faux space travel. In June, NASA announced that it hopes to open up the International Space Station to private astronauts by 2020. The proposed Von Braun Rotating Space Station would be the first space hotel. And, of course, NASA's version of it would be uh, very unique indeed. Now, would you be interested in traveling to the International Space Station as a private astronaut? And, again, we're talking about this is an uh, announcement made by NASA in 20, uh, or excuse me, in June, that this would be available by 2020. That's um, pretty significant, it seems to me. Uh, I'm quite happy to be, I don't know, firmly planted on terra firma, and I look forward to leaving the ground when I see the clouds split and that figure that I've been worshiping for quite some time make a a final appearance. Uh, So I think I'll be fine right here, and I can experience zero gravity at that time. So there you go. Well, a woman who thought she was having avocado found that what she was actually eating was wasabi. I don't know if you're a uh, sushi eater, but wasabi will clear out your sinuses like nothing else can. Just a tiny little taste of it can make all the difference in the world. Well, this woman mistook this wasabi for avocado. I guess she thought it was um, some kind of avocado spread. She was hospitalized with what they call broken heart syndrome. Well, this was an Israeli woman. She was hospitalized with the broken heart syndrome after mistaking wasabi for avocado, according to a report recently detailed in a medical journal. The unusual story begins with the woman in her late 60s who attended a wedding at the nuptials. The woman who was not identified in the report um, ate a very large amount of what she thought was avocado dip. Now, you know, you see avocado dip, you take a teaspoon, maybe even a tablespoonful. You put the whole thing in your mouth and you have certain expectation of what that is. Well, wasabi is quite different. She took a large amount of what she thought was avocado dip only to very quickly realize it was actually wasabi paste, a Japanese horseradish. Now, the woman then felt a sudden pressure in her chest before feeling um, moved down to her arms, according to sources which cite the report. The sensation lasted for the next few hours, though the woman chose to stay at the wedding. I'm not sure I could have. By the next morning, however, she woke up feeling uncomfortable and weak. She decided to see a doctor. Uh, doctors performed an electrocardiogram, which revealed the woman was suffering from Well, I won't try to pronounce the word, but colloquially, it is known as broken heart syndrome. The Mayo Clinic defines the condition as a temporary disruption of the heart's normal pumping function in one area of the heart. It's typically triggered by extreme emotional or physical stress, such as the death of a loved one or a car accident. Most people who experience broken heart syndrome are 50 years or older. Well, in the report, the researchers claim the woman's broken heart syndrome case is the first to be spurred by food consumption alone. In the past, other food-related cases, rather, of broken heart syndrome were linked to a severe allergic reaction. Well, to the best of our knowledge, this is the first report, they say, of 
Taco Tusubo cardiop cardiomyopathy. Okay, close enough. Triggered by wasabi consumption, the researchers said. So beware. Find out what you're about to eat by the spoonful because it could, well, break your heart. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on a fun Friday afternoon. Uh, James Blind is with me in studio and we are going to flip the script. We are going to look at the lighter side of the news for the remainder of today's program, with the exception of the final segment. The only problem I have is if we flip the script, I can't read anything. I, I'm not good at reading upside down. Okay. well, I'm barely good at reading right side up, mind <laughs> I you. I didn't want to say anything, but whatever. Yeah. Um, we're going to be giving away our final pair of Trey McLaughlin tickets as well. So listen up for that opportunity within the next couple of segments. So there you go. I'll be waiting by my phone, though I'd be ineligible. Yeah, you are. You know, it's interesting these days. You can uh, find images of just about everything. You can uh, give people the impression that your whole life is just one big party. You go from one fun thing to another, that you're just on top of everything. Uh, Through images on social media where apparently Canada's Green Party had taken a picture of their leader. Um, They admitted, however, that they used... An image placed in the hand of their leader that would better reflect their core principles of, you know, recycling and reusing. She was uh, holding a disposable cup. Well, that will never do. No, not at all. That'd be, that'd be highly inappropriate. It would be highly inappropriate and was. So the Green Party in Canada has admitted now to using an image on their website of their leader, Elizabeth May, drinking out of a reusable cup with a metal straw that actually was doctored with Photoshop. So wow. are you into the movement or not? Or do you just look like you're into it? It's about appearances, right? It is, apparently. Uh, the image, which originally showed uh, May using a disposable cup, was altered to use a different cup that displayed the Greed Party logo, according to a spokesperson with the uh, speaking to the National Post. All I know is that the original was Photoshopped to put in a cup that had the Green Party logo, and it was a reusable cup. Well, the party spokesman added that it's not known why the straw was added, because, you know, straws are no longer acceptable these days. But she told the National Post it shouldn't distract from the fact that May walks her talk regarding her stance on the environment. So Ms. May, who is using a disposable cup with a regular straw, has a picture altered to appear to use a reusable cup with a reusable straw. She walks her talk. So apparently I'm I'm confused about what the talk is. The talk is cheap. <laughs> I is that I think that's the term. Talk is cheap because uh, yeah that uh, that is definitely not. Uh, it's okay. You use recyclable. You know, it's not consistent with the brand. I mean, you, you know, why post the picture at all? If you're really that concerned, go to another event, take a picture using your recycle, uh, re- reusable cup and metal straw. Well, if it's a priority, why don't you have your recycled cup and metal straw with you? Why are uh, you, you know, using- I always have mine with me. Okay, I don't. No, I don't I, even. I don't either. Well, in a statement, I was, I was yeah. recently gifted a, a um, metal straw, um, and uh, I still haven't figured out what to do with it. Well, the thing with the metal straw is keeping it clean. They now yeah. have brushes that you can buy to wash them out, but that's the main thing. Yeah, just, those decorative and, pipe cleaners look like they would do the trick, well, but you know. 21st century. 20, 21st century is when it all changes and you got to be ready. Straw cleaner. Yep. Well, in a statement on Tuesday, uh, May said that she was completely shocked, complete, not just shocked, but completely shocked. 
to find out that the party had altered the image taken last year at this um, Sydney Street Market in Sydney, British Columbia. My personal daily practice is to avoid single-use plastic items 100% of the time. I never drink from plastic water bottles. I always carry my own reusable coffee cup. I carry my own bamboo utensil, she says. I walk the talk every day. However, (laughs) she apparently... Cotter, the one moment. The one singular moment over the course of a lifetime. Wow. Uh, Last week, she launched the party's election platform for 2019 that placed emphasis on progressive social and ecological policies, such as billions for post-secondary education, the elimination of poverty through a guaranteed livable income. Apparently, straws and paper cups um, weren't a part of that uh, platform. Next year, I guarantee they will be because, you know, got to keep up appearances. Yeah. I wonder how she got there. Did she drive an SUV? Was she riding a plane? I'm just Mm. kind of wondering. Well, you know, there was a rumor about Area 51. Uh, Somebody started what was a joke. We should storm Area 51 on this particular date and find out what's really there. Well, the guy who originated the whole thing did it as a joke. But a lot of people took it very seriously, at least apparently, and said, yes, that is precisely what we're going to do. Well, the Air Force got involved. Local town got involved. The Air Force, of course, was concerned about the numbers and some two million people or something, some large ridiculous number said they were going to show up in Nevada to Area 51. They were going to storm the area. And so there were serious measures taken to prevent that from happening. Apparently, only 40 people gathered at the gates before being dispersed by law enforcement for what was going to be an epic event. 40 people. Yeah. Four zero. Yeah. Not two million. They were responding to the, despite the fact that millions responded to the Facebook event, um, they can't stop all of us was the title of it. The Nevada authorities say only 40 people actually showed up, unless there's a secret underground web page that says we're showing up the following weekend and they're not well, expecting what it. happened is 1.9 something million of those two million were secretly abducted by the government and taken <laughs> to uh, a remote uh, alien depot alien depot where they are currently being held and brainwashed before being returned to society quietly yeah no I'm, I'm i'm sure of that that's that's got to be what it is <laughs> Well, the secrets of Area 51, the highly classified Air Force facility long rumored to house extraterrestrial artifacts, remain unseen. Despite millions responding to this Facebook event, again, Storm Area 51, they can't stop all of us. Authorities say only 40 people gathered at the gates before being confronted and dispersed by law enforcement. Ah, oh, what a big disappointment for the extraterrestrials who were hoping for bigger, I'm sure. According to the Lincoln County Sheriff's Office, one arrest was made, not for an attempt to free the aliens or to see them, but for public, well, never mind. Ten days before the planned raid, two Dutch tourists were arrested after being found trespassing on Department of Energy land near Area 51. They said they saw no trespassing signs at the Mercury Highway entrance to the Nevada National Security site, but they wanted to look at the facility. No. Since then, the two men were sentenced to a year in county jail, which was suspended in favor of a three-day imprisonment and a monetary fine. In an interview with NPR, Maddie Roberts, the creator of the event, tongue-in-cheek, discouraged potential visitors from actually going to Area 51, um, saying, I, uh, I'm really trying to direct people away from actually going toward the military base because that both is dangerous and it's a national security threat. So I'm trying to direct people toward the safer option of just going to one of these many parties that's being set up. Well, many parties, 40 people, 
Roberts is referring to Alien Stock and Storm Area 51 Base Camp, two music festivals that capitalize on the popularity of the original Facebook event. The two gatherings are hosted by Las Vegas and Hico, uh, respectively. Now, I'm not sure anybody showed up for those if only 40 came to the other thing, but there was an alternative. Were you planning on going to uh, Area 51? I was not, but uh, my, in spirit, I, I was there. So I, you know, of course, checked that I was going. No, I did not. But <laughs> you know, you know what? You, I, I've I figured it out over the past couple of days. What Area Fifty One really needs to really get the secrets out, to really know what's going on in Area Fifty One, they need a whistleblower. That's it. They need a whistleblower. You know, I've never been there. I haven't actually witnessed the thing. I could qualify as a whistleblower. I could uh, talk to a couple of people, find out what they think about mm-hmm. it, publish a report. File it with an inspector general, and before you know it, I'm in the news. Absolutely. Let's do it. I think I think that is the next course of action. All right. Well, we know what we're going to do. Hey, you're listening to the Fun Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. As I mentioned uh, later in this program, we're going to give our final pair of tickets away to the Trey McLaughlin concert coming up at the um, Newmark Theater. More details on that coming up as well. James Blend with me in studio, having fun on a fun Friday afternoon. Glad you could join us. We need to take a break, but we'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to the Friday edition. Not just the Friday edition. I mean, we do. We could just have a Friday edition. This is the fun Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. So this is just no run-of-the-mill, everyday kind of a program. This is your fun Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. And proving that fact, confirming, affirming the fact, is um, James Blind with me in studio. I put the fun on Fun Friday. Wow. Yeah, you kind of do, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Nestle has a new luxury Kit Kat. Okay, this is interesting to me because I'll, I'll, I i don't know if I've ever gone on record as saying this. Kit Kat is one of my two favorites. Really? I did not know that. As many Kit Kat and the Milky together. Way Midnight. Those are my two favorite. You can send them to me courtesy here at the station. <laughs> uh, but no, seriously, Kit Kat and, and Milky Way Midnight. Okay, what's Milky Way Midnight? Is that a Milky Way with dark chocolate? It is a Milky Way with dark chocolate and white nougat. Instead huh. of chocolate nougat. Ebony and ivory. Exactly. Kind of me and you. It, it, it goes together, strangely enough, in perfect harmony. Wow. Mm-hmm. I feel so close to you right now. I, I, I feel at least three feet closer or three feet away. Yeah, but. I think three feet away is about right. Yeah. Anyway, to borrow from the popular jingle, break me off a piece of that highly personalized, very expensive Kit Kat bar. It only costs $17. Would you pay $17 for a candy bar? Um, boy, you know. I, no, wait, I, a luxury candy bar. I, I want to know more. I, I, I probably would not. Uh, my, my, uh, my initial reaction is no way, but uh, sell me on it. First of all, it's a Kit Kat, one of your favorites. Yep. But Nestle is launching That's worth a, a buck right there. luxury bespoke Kit Kat through its Kit Kat. Kit Kat. It's hard to say over It over. is. Kit Kat. Chocolatory. They have a chocolatory, apparently, which will first open as a pop-up in 30 stores across the UK. Sorry, oh. James. Uh, before it will become available through the chocolate company's new online shop. So there you have it. Okay. Online shop. Well, the new handcrafted chocolate bars, eight fingers long, measure it, eight fingers long. They're called Create Your Break. Catchy? Yeah. Tempting? Yeah. Okay. Uh, they allow customers to choose three special add-ins from a long list and one chocolate variation from a selection of milk, dark, white, and ruby. Now, what would ruby be? I, you know, I've never heard of ruby chocolate. Yeah, I'll, be, I'll be looking that one up. There's also an option for personalized packaging. You want your name on it? You can, uh, you can get that. In addition to the common add-ins like mini marshmallows, salted caramel chocolate. What is it with salted caramel? 
When did that get to be a thing? Salt. It's karma. the it's the whole sweet and su- su- the well, sweet and salty movement. Yeah, it was pomegranate for a while. It wasn't you didn't eat pomegranate? It was all all the hair products and lotions and everything was pomegranate. Now it's salted caramel. Anyway, salted caramel chunks and toasted coconut flakes. There are special edition and best of British flavors that include billionaire's treasure, whiskey and ginger. Cherry, Bakewell, and Earl Grey. Any one of those uh, do anything for you? Yeah, I mean, boy, I mean, I love Earl Grey tea. Don't get me wrong, but I don't know if I would. Yeah. Um, by the way, before we get bar. the tons of emails, so if you're already typing yours up, you may want to delete it. Uh, Ruby chocolate is a variety of chocolate from Belgium, and uh, it is considered the fourth type of chocolate along dark milk and white chocolate. And it has Which its own cocoa all, bean. By the way. And it has its own bean. And it has a taste that's described as sweet yet sour with little to none of the cocoa flavor traditionally associated with other varieties of chocolate. Now, here's my question immediately right there. That's yeah. red flag. Yes. It's chocolate. But the best part of it is it, it doesn't, doesn't taste, taste like, like chocolate. chocolate. Why, why would you want that? And why would you call it chocolate? It's like white chocolate. It's really not chocolate. There no, is it no is not. cocoa in it at all. I mean, none. I get it why they refer to it. But – yeah, I think I'm going to stick, uh, stay away from this. Um, so white and ruby. Okay, they're ruby. both on my list. So what about billionaire's treasure? We have no idea what's in that. Uh, whiskey and ginger, I forbid you to have it. Cherry, Bakewell, Earl Grey. Eh? I mean, the only one that might be, I mean, I might be willing to go, okay, I'm not interested necessarily, but I'd be willing to try it would be the Earl Grey, I think. Yeah, okay. Uh, we know how much people enjoy experimenting with new and exciting Kit Kat flavors and the Kit Kat Chocolatory. Chocolatory offers a whole new premium Kit Kat experience as well as the chance to create your very own personalized break and have it delivered right to your door. That's a big thing now, to have it delivered. So it's kind of like it's kind of like one of those things where, you know, it, I, I, I don't necessarily have this problem, but my wife does and you do, my daughter does, with people who have less than mainstream names or ma- less than mainstream se- spellings of names mm-hmm. uh, that can't, for the life of them, of course, d- find a Coke can or bottle with their name to share their drink with because, you know, they yeah. share your – I haven't seen a bottle yet that says share your cola with uh, Georgine. Uh, or will you. And, but you can go to their website and make them. And really? it's like five bucks a bottle. Uh, oh, my goodness. I'm I, exactly. for a hurricane. I want a hurricane, Georgine. I mean, for you. You could put hurricane Georgine on, a, on, on the Coke bottle. But, I mean, I want an actual hurricane named Georgine by the National Weather Service. You've experienced that on a regular basis, the well, yeah, wind. But, abs- absolutely. You know. But uh, have, have we thought about maybe putting together a campaign to petition? The National Weather Service? Well, that's something to think about. Or is it actually the uh, hurricane office that – it may be the, the – Yeah, the, I'm not sure. Let, let's find out. Maybe we should start an on-air campaign. <laughs> Name a hurricane Georgine. Online petition maybe? Yeah. I, I, I'll sign it. I, I, I'd sign it too. And let's, uh, let's see if we can't uh, start something going there. I like this. Yeah, Hurricane Georgine. Hurricane Georgine. Dan Rice would probably be the first signator <laughs> – but for whole other reason. Well, he's experienced Hurricane Georgine. <laughs> the devastation. Exactly. By the way, the unique candy bars aren't cheap. Uh, each personalized bar will start at start at $17. So your base model yeah. with no frills, no sunny extras, no sunroof, your... no air conditioning, <laughs> exactly. no GPS. No seat warmers. No seat warmers. Nothing. Nothing. Well, I don't know if you want seat warmers on a chocolate. Have you, seen, have you seen chocolate There's on seat chocolate. warmers? Yes, not, good. not good. Not good, thing. no. 
Uh, celebrity fr- uh, chef, he's French. He's suing um, Michelin. They produce a guide, not the tire people. They right. produce a guide. The five-star guide. Absolutely. Uh, he's been demoted for using cheddar cheese. I mean, that pedestrian cheddar cheese. And now he's going to sue them uh, because they have downgraded him. And that just means every everything. Now, he denies using the popular cheese and claims it's all down to an inspector with an unsophisticated palate. Ooh. This is a big deal. You've oh, got snap. a French It is on. Chef. It is apparently on. You've got a um, an, an inspector who is, according to the chef, unsophisticated in terms of his palate, and you have a chef who says he would never lower himself to use the pedestrian common cheddar that one might find in the refrigerator of any American household. Now, of course, I think I'm well on record about this, but correct me if I'm wrong. I am one of those few Americans out there, and I recognize myself to be mm-hmm. the few, the minute, if you will, even, but proud disliker of cheddar cheese. I'm not a big cheddar cheese fan. I mean, if you give me a grilled cheese sandwich and it's made with cheddar cheese and it's crunchy and buttery of the bread on the outside, I, I can live with that. But I do prefer the flavors of virtually every other cheese. Yeah, it's not my favorite cheese. And and quite frankly, I, I you know, if he really did use cheddar, he deserves the downgrade. <laughs> But he In says he didn't. He would not have done that because, you know, who would do that if you're a celebrity chef? Anyway, he's suing the Michelin Guide because he claims his restaurant lost its three-star, only three-star. Oh, he's only three stars. He's nothing. cheese in a classic French dish. Um, he uh, is somewhere near the French Alps. He was demoted to two stars in January without warning, just a year after it secured the industry's highest award. Uh, the guide, the standard bearer for the world's best cuisine, has not yet explained the demotion. However, the chef says the inspector accused him of using cheddar in his cheese souffle, oh, cheddar cheese souffle, rather than French or something like that, a variety of cheeses. What, what, well, was, that, what, what was that type of cheese again? See, if you sound like you're just going to kind of retching then it, you <laughs> that's french oh i mean my version of it i, I mean, the actual language is much more beautifully spoken but that's as close as i can get send your letters of complaint to georgine <laughs> rice care of kpdq anyway the 69 year old said it was uh, a fromage faux pas uh from a man with an unsophisticated palate i mean can you imagine being the victim of a fromage faux pas from a I man i kind of feel like that's my day every day to be perfectly honest <laughs> How was your day, honey? I, I hear when I get home, it, it was a fromage f- faux pas. Faux pas. <laughs> yeah, that was it. That's how my yeah, day is you, every day. I love you too. Uh, I put saffron in it, he says, and the gentleman who came thought it was cheddar because it was yellow. That's what you call knowledge of a place. It's just crazy, he told the French inter-radio, complaining. It's worse than a wound. It's profoundly offensive. It gave me a depression, he says. Wow, all of this over cheese. The flamboyant chef made his name by championing his so-called botanical cooking using wild herbs gathered around his restaurant in his native Haute-Souffle region. Uh, famous for wearing a wide-brimmed black Savoyard hat and smoke-tinted glasses, he has previously won three stars from the prestigious Red Book for two other restaurants. So this is an insult uh, beyond insults for this and, particular and you, gentleman. And, and you joke, I mean, I joked about it before about going down from three stars to two. Just to get one is borderline impossible. Michelin is a very, yeah. I mean, I, I've watched enough cooking shows over the years to know what it takes to get even one star in the Michelin Guide. So the, the fact that he was three to two, that... It's a is, big deal. You, know, you go, well, that's not five. I don't know that there are any. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, Michelin said in a statement, it understands the disappointment of Mr. whose talent no one contests, even if we regret his unreasonable persistence with his accusations. Ooh, they're calling his uh, complaints unreasonable persistence. It added, our first duty is to tell consumers why we have changed our recommendation. We will carefully study his demands and respond calmly, calmly. So uh, apparently they're going to look into it and perhaps things will change. A fromage. Faux Speaking pas. of faux pas, I feel like we need to take a break from this faux pas. <laughs> All right, we will pas faux and take a quick break. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, by the way. By the, we're at the top of the hour. We got to take. Is a break it really for news already and, that long? We have got to take a break for news and traffic, and we'll be back. All right, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on ninety three point nine KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show on a fun Friday afternoon. James Blend is with me in studio. That's how desperate I have become. It has come to that, ladies and gentlemen. James Blend is with me in studio. You know, it was really easy to decide to do the, the show today with you. Because I'm such a sparkling personality? No, because there is a plate of cookies in front of me. You know, I've been trying to avoid cookies all day long. We had a, our sister station had a concert in the mm-hmm. conference room earlier, plate of cookies. Plate of cookies. I, I, I partook. I was there. Partook. 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 That's the, is, is, I don't know. Is that part- how you conjugate partake? Well, can I get a part-took? judgment? Is partook a part- word? Partake. 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 Partaken. Partook. Partook. Yeah, I agree. No. You think okay. You think it is a word? All right. I'm actually going to have to look it so up. So you're on James' side? Is that what you're saying, Clark? I think that's what it is. Every day, you and I, every day, you will take his word? It's going to cost you. You realize that. This is going to be an issue now for weeks to come. Okay, not really. As promised. Right, partook is, in fact, the past of partake. So partook Exactly. Was the that's what word. I was saying the whole time. Yep. It is not it partaken. Sounded, it is partook. It may have sounded different, but what I was trying to get at was. Thank you, Miriam Webster. What I was trying to get at was that while it may not ring quite natural in the ear, that uh, it took is really is yeah. accurate. And it's so common that words that don't quite sound right uh, can, in fact, be correct. That's what I was getting at in a sort of a roundabout uh, way. Right. And and what makes this – I mean, I say worse, but it's not – I don't mean worse because it's an amazing generosity that we have uh, gotten very spoiled at is uh, every Friday – uh, earlier in the day, um, they have a show on, and Gloria Hahn, local real estate agent, is interviewed, and she always brings us cookies. She does. Fresh and baked. Fresh baked. Beautiful Beautiful cookies. A couple dozen Delicious. And, and sometimes they get left in the studio. Yes. And on Fridays, yep. it's a virtual uh, tomb in here because there's very few people still Especially by stations. this time of day. Yeah. Especially by this time of day. Everybody seems to have meetings outside the building. Go fig. Uh-huh. Friday mm-hmm. afternoon. Yep. And I spend the rest of the afternoon trying desperately not to take a cookie. And here you have a plate of... How many are still left? Uh, looks like I'm... Uh, now, Now, mind you, there were more before, the, before um, we started this segment. Um, or I should say that that top of the hour break was not great for my diet. I'll put it that way. Um, I had been able to resist during our first two segments, but uh, there are a couple less. But let's see if I can look through the plastic here. Well, there's I'd like say, eight, uh, eight or nine here. Yeah, I'd say eight or nine. We'll see how many are left by the end I of the show. Eat a cookie. I will not eat a cookie. I will not eat a cookie. I will not eat a cookie. Uh, by the way, want to give away? I, I can our, hear um, them. They're, they're talking to me. I, I'm not going to. Yeah, deny. I can hear it too. Yeah. Uh, so to distract myself, I want to give away our final pair of Trey McLaughlin tickets. The to best the part of the, the best part up. of this, I mean, it's, I'm sure it's going to be a wonderful concert, a great event. And uh, but while you get to talk about it, I could eat a cookie. Maybe you could help me with this uh, promotion, James. I'm sorry, I didn't hear you there. Okay. 
Final pair of tickets. We're going to give them away to caller number... Clark, which caller should we give these tickets away to? He has no idea. He's caller number four. And the number to call, 800-845-2162. And the uh, Sons of Zamar. Is that right? I believe so. 800-845-2162. Caller number four. Pair of tickets. This is our final giveaway of the week. So hop on it if you'd like to uh, enjoy a great concert on a Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, I should say. All right. Well, it's a fun Friday, so we're going to get back to the fun Friday fair as soon as uh, James finishes chewing the cookie in front of me while I'm trying desperately not to have one. Appreciate that, James. A Nebraska woman was so upset that she took to burning the love letters she had uh, kept and cherished, sparking an apartment fire. Uh, The 19-year-old, which explains a lot, Uh, She started a fire in her apartment on Monday while burning love letters from her ex, according to police. Uh, There in Lincoln, they said the woman used a butane torch to burn the letters. A butane torch? (laughs) She must have really been upset. She no longer carried a torch, so she used one. I mean, I I understand a lot less people have matches and and cigarette (laughs) lighters than used to for obvious reasons, but a butane torch. Yeah. Anyway, she used it to burn the letters. Was she welding beforehand? I don't know. She left some of them on her bedroom floor. She then went to another room to take a nap. You don't start a fire and take a nap. Anyway, to take a nap, woke up a short time later to discover that her carpet was on fire. Firefighters responded, put out the flames quickly. No one was injured, but the fire cost about, oh, I don't know, caused about $4,000 in damage to the building. Woman received a citation for negligent burning. Now, negligent doesn't seem strong enough a word for what she did using a butane torch to burn a few love letters. I mean, I've heard of the flame of romance going out before, but that's really, <laughs> really something ridiculous. Else. Now, did you ever write uh, love letters to Selena? Um, you know what? Yeah, yeah. Does she still more, have them? more of uh, more of them were notes, emails, notes, and text. poems. Oh, poems! Um, I proposed in a poem. Did you? Yes, I, I did. did not know that. Yes. Do you remember it? I don't remember it. Selena, I... Selena, I love you so. What it was... If I ask you to marry me, will you say no? No, no she's probably yelling at the radio, I still have it, I still have it! <laughs> uh, because I'm pretty sure she does. Um, what it, I, I don't remember the contents of the letter. No, what I do remember... What I do remember is that at each line of the poem, the first line began with a W, the second line began with an I, and then an oh. L, and then L. You, and, you, know, you can go down the... You know, and will so the, you, you marry, marry me? me? Yep. Wow. Yeah, and so the effort. last line said, you know, reread the poem, only reading the first letter of each line. That's a lot of work. She put the work in. I, I well, figure if, a... you, if she's willing to put the work in, she's willing <laughs> to put the work in on the marriage. And by golly, so far, so good. Yeah. How many years has it been now? Uh, 14, a little over 14. Uh, It'll be 15 next year. Amazing to me. I remember when you first made the, I remember when you first started dating, when you made the announcement. I remember the whole thing. It was pretty thrilling at the time. Well, Still Dan is. Rice, I was, uh, I mean, just that whole process. Uh, I lived in Eugene. I was going to the University of Oregon. Dan and I were parted during that season, and he used to write. He would send his letters in these Iggy cards. I don't know if you remember the Iggy cards, that little kind of pathetic round character, and they were very popular at that time. And he wrote the sweetest, most beautiful letters. No, Ziggy. Okay. Not, when you said Iggy, Iggy I'm like, Iggy, what? And then when you not, said little round character, <laughs> it clicked into my head, and I'm sure people are yelling at their radio too, Ziggy, Ziggy she yeah. means Ziggy. <laughs> not Iggy Pop, but Ziggy. And um, he made me mad one day. I think I was in Eugene, and I, I threw them all out. Oh. I threw the letters out. Oh. You know, this was a 19-year-old using a butane torch. 
I was about that stupid. I was about 19. I didn't use a butane torch, but I threw them in the garbage. I have regretted that for more than 37 years. I mean, so minus one on, on intelligence for, for throwing them out, but uh, plus two for common sense for not using a butane torch. <laughs> yeah, I am so sorry. No, I, didn't, I didn't – I wasn't a lot with the traditional notes. What I would do is um, while um, the main last two years of our – before we got married, she was a student in Seattle mm-hmm. at University of Washington. And so I would go up and, and visit on weekends. And um, what I would do is um, inevitably I would you know be in, it, be in her – her and her dorm, you know, her dorm room or apartment, et cetera. And I would leave notes tucked all over the place on like post-it notes. Oh. Thinking of you. Hope you're doing well. Hope your day's good. I love you. You know, all that. So it wasn't so much love letters as it was just little notes here and there. Yeah. I care about you. I'm thinking of you. That's very sweet. This is a side of you. I, uh, I mean, I, I, my wife asked me a while ago, why don't you do those anymore? Like, cause mm-hmm. our daughter would find them and draw on them and you'd never get them. <laughs> That's why. Yeah, your daughter's only five years old. Fourteen Not even, years. Yeah. Did you used to do it before the daughter came? Occasionally. Occasionally. All right. Got to keep the flame going, uh-huh. as this nineteen-year-old did with her love letters that nearly burned yeah, the apartment down. Yeah, that's that's the keeping the flame going was part of her problem. Yeah, apparently so. Um, we uh, we have to take a break. Clark That's good because I still have a half a cookie. Yeah, try to chew. Looking the other direction, please. Quick break. You're listening to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show, and we will, ladies and gentlemen, be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. I'm Georgine Rice, James Blind, who is stuffing himself with cookies that are. Oh, it, it, it's actually here. better than that. You you had mentioned earlier that um, you know, we'd had a concert in with uh, some food provided as well this this afternoon, and. Uh, there happened to be some sweet tea left from a certain... I wanted some of that. There's still some left. Where was it? In the refrigerator in the break room. And so I picked some of that up at the top of the hour as well. I got nothing. So, I mean, here I am eating a nice, fresh, warm cookie and drinking some of my favorite sweet tea. This this makes being in here this hour actually worth it for a change. <laughs> for a change. All right. Speaking of weddings, by the way, although we weren't really speaking of weddings, the woman burned the love letters of her ex... Um, you and I were talking about your wedding, but right. after feeling tricked into paying hundreds of dollars and not getting paid back for his friend's wedding, a slighted usher is wondering how close he really is with the groom. You know, weddings, participating in weddings can be very expensive, particularly if the couple isn't thoughtful of the budgets of those they're asking to join them. While well, the slighted friend shared his story on Reddit, where he complained that the groom had left him out of the wedding party, even though... Uh, the two had been best friends since high school. When he was asked to be an usher, however, he happily said yes, not realizing that his troubles were only start starting to begin. Posting under the name... This sounds dramatic. When, when does the butane torch come into play? That's what I want to know. <laughs> anyway, the poster explained that things started to feel weird when he was left out of the rehearsal dinner. The post explained, morning of the wedding comes around and I'd still not received any details on what ushering is going to be like or what time I should show up for the reception to start helping and so on. Then the bride messages the man asking for a favor. Apparently, the happy couple had forgotten about the appetizers and needed someone to pick them up. Can I do this for a bride on her wedding day? Sure. Oh, one more thing. The order hasn't been paid, but they'll give me money at the ceremony or pay me back at the reception. Sure, I'll do it. Well, after the ceremony, instead of hanging out with his friends who were also at the wedding, the poster, the man who was complaining, drove off to pick up the appetizers. He says, I played as much Tetris as I have while waiting for the appetizers. The story continued because fitting all that in my car in such a way that um, 
they wouldn't otherwise topple and ruin the wedding was all-time high-score achievement. I texted the uh, bride to let her know that we were, uh, uh, we've got everything ready and uh, that he would see her at the reception. Well, apparently the bride didn't respond to the message. I get to the reception venue expecting a bustling crew of event organizers and family to receive me and help bring the food in, he continued. Instead, he claimed he had to carry all the appetizers in by himself. Well, according to the gentleman, the reception came and went without anyone offering, well, any money for the food. After the party, the poster, he went back to the hotel to hang out with the groom at his invitation. When the poster mentioned picking up some food, the bride's cousin overhears and asks me to buy her food, too. Sure, he says. Then she asked the room at large, who'd like food? Now I'm buying food for almost the whole party or the whole after party. Um, he says, um, or the cousin of the groom says she'll um, Venmo. I have no idea what that, that means. That's, that's a pay app. Thank that's, you. Yep. I'll Venmo you uh, when I get back and she'll pay for everyone's stuff. Sure, he says. Well, unfortunately, when the poster got back with the food, he found the cousin who promised to pay passed out. Ooh. Drunken guests grabbed whatever food they saw, he continued. The groom walked uh, up to him, burger in hand, and says he's actually really tired, so he's going to go pass out. But thanks for the food and help, and he leaves. He grabs the food, takes the elevator to the first floor of hotel cafeteria, and eats alone, upset in silence. This is the poster. At this point, I'm out $500 for appetizers, $80 for the late night food run, and pretty sure I'll never really have a best friend to begin with. I feel used, humiliated, upset, and incredulous. Fair. Commenters on Reddit generally agreed that the original poster should get paid back and that he shouldn't feel weird asking for the money. Text the groom and bride that you have yet to be paid for the Um, apps and food that you were asked to pick up and were promised to be paid. One user commented, do not take no for an answer. If ignored on Facebook, Twitter, or other various forms of SNS, social media, um, at uh, one week intervals. Now, I would, you know, think pick up the phone, go to their house, but I guess social media is the way to do this. Text the groom about when you can expect payment for the appetizers, another user added. Once you're paid, step away from the friendship, and why should you worry about insulting the groom? He wasn't worried about insulting you with his behavior. You can be honest without being cruel. Just because his feelings are hurt doesn't mean you're the bad guy. Anyway, bad form. Yeah, no, I I, I can't think of anything like that uh, at a wedding that I've been to. I mean, I, I know that you know people sometimes have to fight a little bit to get paid, but having all that thrown on you. I think the, the weirdest thing I've ha- had happen like that once was... I was going to a friend's anniversary party, and uh, about halfway to the party, I get a call. Hey, can you pick up the cake? <laughs> okay. Sure. Is it paid for? Yep. Just ask for it under my name. Yeah, generally. Who and makes that was, appetizers for a large event without being paid That's the other advance. question. I mean, that you, yeah. you don't know you're getting paid? I mean, you don't know if you're getting paid? I mean, that's... Just a little... Peculiar. That, a little peculiar. But yes, I've well, done that part, but never... Then, you know, that's you what know. a true friend does. You get a call, you go pick up the cake. It's yep. paid for, everything's settled. Then there's this woman. She's from Maine. She says she buried her friend in the backyard to fulfill her friend's dying wish. I put her in a tarp. I dragged her out there and put her in the ground. Okay. Now, is this the friend's house or the (laughs) deceased's house? Well, police in Maine are investigating after the remains of an elderly woman were discovered in a shallow grave on a property where the owner claims she buried her friend as part of her dying wish. The 83-year-old wasn't worried when state officials showed up at her home in Harrison Road and Uh, Norway on Tuesday to perform a welfare check on a woman who had reportedly been staying with her. According to the news release, the Maine police um, 
recovered the remains of a female believed to be in her 80s buried in Jackson's backyard. Officials say she likely died 12 to 18 months ago, uh, but will conduct an autopsy to determine the time and cause of death. Well, uh, Jackson told the um, law enforcement and local television that she was honest with the police and admitted to burying her friend of 20 years on her property, adding that she was unaware that she needed a permit to do so. She begged me when she passed away, well, maybe before she passed away. Let's Probably see, before yeah. she passed but away. But she's, yeah. I'm quoting here, she begged me when she passed away that she didn't have enough insurance to bury herself, and I don't have it either, she said. Will you promise me to bury me in your yard so I'll be close? End quote. She considered me as a daughter. She never had. Uh, You're the daughter I never had. I want to be close to you, and I finally agreed to do so to satisfy her, end quote. Well, the two women first met years ago while attending church in the South. Jackson told the Lewiston Sun Journal, the local newspaper, that her friend offered her a place to live when she first moved to Maine and that she wanted to repay that favor when her pal asked to live with her when she fell ill about four years ago. When she did pass, uh, Jackson, who had has a chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, did exactly as her friend had asked. I put her in a tarp. I dragged her out there, Jackson said. She said she doesn't yet know if she is facing any charges, but that if she had known she needed a permit, she would have gotten one. Now, there's true friendship. I guess. Yeah, and, you know, it's entirely possible that she asked her friend to drag her out in the backyard in a tarp, but they're looking into it. Meanwhile, a Missouri mother is warning drivers to be careful not to leave aerosol cans in hot vehicles, something we won't have to worry about here in this community for months and months and months and months and months, I fear. Uh, After a bottle of dry shampoo exploded, shattering the sunroof of her daughter's car. Oh, well, the um, resident of St. Peter's claimed the bottle was left in the console of her 19-year-old daughter's Honda Civic on Wednesday. It was hot yesterday, and the can exploded. She explained in a Facebook post the explosion blew the console cover off its hinges, shot through the sunroof, went high enough in the air that it landed about 50 feet away. We thought something fell down from the sky, but the glass was uh, going out, so... <laughs> Uh, We know that wasn't the case. She said it took 10 to 15 minutes to figure out what caused the explosion. Fortunately, her daughter wasn't in the car at the time, but she wants to warn others to heed those warnings on products you may be using. Please don't leave aerosol cans and especially dry shampoo, as it seems to be an issue with some brands, in your car, she wrote. I'm so grateful that no one was hurt. Warning labels on aerosol cans often warn against leaving such products in sunlight or exposing them to heat or flame. Case in point. Wow. You know, there's always been a conflict, or at least there has been for many years, not always, um, between the U.S. and Russia. It used to be the Soviet Union. Well, if you're concerned about the Navy, this might, you know, assuage some of your fears. A walrus apparently defending her cubs sank a Russian Navy vessel in the Arctic Ocean. Wow. Humans have long known that it's inadvisable to mess with Mother Nature, particularly a mother walrus. And as a group of researchers from the Russian Geographical Society just learned, it's also apparently inadvisable to mess with a mother walrus. The scientists were aboard the Russian Navy tugboat known as the Altai on an expedition in the Arctic Ocean this week, right before the unusual human-animal interaction occurred. They boarded a small rubber loading craft, a rather landing craft, were en route to shore to study its flora and fauna when a female walrus attacked, sinking the vessel. 
During the landing at Cape Heller, a group of researchers had to flee from a female walrus, which, protecting its cub, attacked an expedition boat. The Russian military appeared to be flying a drone above a group of uh, walruses on a nearby beach to take scientific photographs, which may have spooked the animal, igniting its uh, maternal defense instincts, the MDI. A uh, gallery posted uh, by the Northern Fleet following the incident shows images of walruses gathered at the uh, Franz Josef Land. So... Russian Navy, I mean, albeit this was a rubber raft of a sort, no match for a mother walrus. I mean, you know, I, I, I can't, this is such a familiar tale to me. I can't count how many vacations I've had where you, you have a situation where you're running from a walrus. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a common occurrence. I, I feel their pain. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on a fun Friday afternoon. Quick break. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show on a fun Friday afternoon. Um, by the way, um, we'll let you know on our next segment about what's coming up, uh, at least in part, next week. So stick around for that. We're also going to talk about the, the world's fastest growing church. You might originally have thought that was China because that was the case, but it's different now. We'll tell you more about it. Anyway, police in Ohio had a curious encounter with two Amish men over the weekend pulling over their buggy to discover they had rigged (laughs) rigged the thing up with a massive stereo system. Whoa! Amish buggy massive stereo system. One of these things does not belong with the others. Deputies stopped the buggy around 1 a.m. That in and of itself is a bit peculiar on Sunday. On Sunday found a 12-pack of, um, well, Michelob Ultra on top of the vehicle with several open bottles inside the vehicle. The men, who come from a community which largely shuns alcohol and modern technology, bailed out of the buggy so fast that the horse continued pulling the empty coach down the road, of course, to its home. I've never operated an Amish buggy with a horse, but I'm told that the horse will know the way home regardless of whether the operator is awake or even in the buggy. And that horse went a little further down the road and onto an oil um, well road and stopped. Well, deputies uh, then towed the buggy and found someone to take care of the horse until the owners could be found. Well, in a rite of passage known as something, I think it's Rumspringa, kind of a German word, Young members of the Amish community are allowed to experiment with the influences of the outside world, but DUI laws still apply. Unfortunately, they're um, not licensed as far as the buggy goes, but it is a vehicle. It's on the roadway, and the OVI laws do apply. Uh, You're not allowed to drink and drive or operate a buggy. Well, once authorities identify the two men, they could be charged with failure to comply with the deputy's commands. Maybe there's uh, just that fear of the consequence, and that would be a reality check for them, that there are consequences, but they encourage the uh, perpetrators to come forward and get their buggy and their horse. And as of the reading of this story, that has not yet happened. Uh, The Amish are a Christian community known for simple living and plain dress. As of this year, there are about 333,235 living in and around the United States, around 76,000 of which live in Ohio, according to Amish Studies organization, the Young Center. Only Pennsylvania has a larger Amish population. When I lived in Pennsylvania, I wasn't in particularly an Amish country, Mm -hmm. but there were definitely an area where there were Amish communities not too far away and... uh, I remember being particularly surprised to pull into one day to a certain rather large box store that has wall in its name. Um, and next to me, a 15-passenger van pulls in, and a bunch of very clearly, obviously, Amish people come out. 
Um, which that's apparently okay. Somebody else can drive you. Is ah. you, you can't drive yourself, but somebody else can drive you. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was the end of it until I saw pretty much all of them in the electronics department about 10 minutes later watching Oprah. <laughs> watching Oprah? Watching Oprah. They were all gathered around the TV watching Oprah or one of the TVs. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was that – was, so apparently I, I don't know if is the wonderment of the flickering electronic box or if they were really just down with Oprah. I never quite figured that part out. But yeah, it was it appointment TV? I don't know. That's very interesting. I, I never was around the same time again to, to be able to check and see, did they come every day? Did they come once a week? You know, is it, uh, you know, you get an Amish and you get an Amish and you get an Amish. <laughs> I, I don't know. But yeah, kind of they were all watching Oprah. Well, I hope it was a good, it was a good episode. Well, in Japan, they want to make sure that you enjoy your flight, and the airlines there have uh, launched seat alerts to help passengers avoid crying babies. So passengers on Japan Airlines are being given the opportunity to select seats away from those reserved for babies up to age two. Now, the nightmare of being stuck on a long-haul flight with a constantly crying baby nearby could be a thing of the past for people traveling in and out of the country. Japan Airlines, or JAL, they've introduced an online booking tool that indicates where babies and toddlers are seated. Now, my view on this is just grow up and learn to live with small humans who aren't as disciplined as some of the adults who can misbehave in ways that are also intolerable. If passengers with children aged between eight days and two years old reserve their seat, a child's um, icon will appear on the aeroplane plan. They're spelling it aeroplane, um, giving passengers who have not neglected their seats the opportunity to sit further away. Well, there you go. However, the airline was keen to point out that the new feature does not guarantee passengers will be out of earshot of a screaming child. And of course, you don't know if a child's going to be screaming or not. It also said the icon would not appear if passengers book their flights through a third party or are part of a tour group or if there is a last minute change in the aircraft. But their move has been praised by some social media users. However, others on Twitter accuse people of being intolerant. Imagine that, people being intolerant. Who knew? One user says they are babies, as we all once were. We need to learn tolerance or we'll soon start needing a map of seat locations for mouth breathers, droolers, drunks, and perhaps a lot more things in life. I wouldn't mind one for drunks. But anyway, another said, I used to feel and say exactly what you have just said. But after having my own son, I am very sympathetic to parents traveling with kids. If you are not happy with a screaming child in the cabin, then I am more than happy for you to try and reason with them. <laughs> not an easy thing to do with a small child. And, you, and you know, you, you, a lot of times, especially with, uh, with a small child, it, it's not always vacation or something. And you don't know what you're going to get until yeah. uh, until you take that first flight. Our, our, we're really lucky because we do travel a lot and we have a, a daughter that travels very, very well. Um, and the only time she ever caused us a problem um, on a flight was shortly after she was potty trained. She had to go... When we were about to take off. Oh, you had to wait. And we just, I mean, so she was really, really fried about that. But the looks you get. I mean, even though we have a well-controlled, well-behaved, likes-to-fly child, you you do get a lot of dirty looks. Yeah, people are just intolerant and impatient. And And some cities are worse than others, I won't deny. Yeah. Well, in Bangladesh, this is completely unrelated, but... uh, There has been a silent protest against Bangladesh's loud horns sparking a noisy support. It's rather interesting when I've traveled, Bangladesh is not India, but when I was in India recently, 
Um, horns signify everything. It might be, hi, how you doing? Or get out of the way or here I come. But horns are honking all the time. It's nonstop. Well, in um, one Bangladeshi area, they're stopping traffic. Literally, 36-year-old is on a one-man crusade to reduce unnecessary honking in one of the world's noisiest cities where the cacophony of vehicle horns is heavy in heavy traffic is as loud as a rock concert. This is my silent protest against it, he says. And so this one lone individual holding a sign is attempting to make a difference in his world. And then there's this, a South Korean mayor dumped a ton, literally a ton of trash on a clean beach to give environmental campaigners something to pick up. Uh, has said he's sorry for the deception. The following day, hundreds of volunteers scoured the shores and bagged up the garbage as part of an event to mark International Coastal Cleanup Day. So apparently they have a clean coast. The mayor felt bad. <clears throat> the occasion was coming up, so he hired someone to dump a ton of trash on the beach. People came out, picked it up, and they uh, acknowledged International Coastal Cleanup Day. Wouldn't you want to celebrate international coastal we don't have to clean up day i would think so i, I don't know it seems to me I, to I, from what i understand though it, it works better the international coastal cleanup day is best celebrated with confetti and streamers <laughs> that then have to be raked up exactly well one of the world's longest water slides was unveiled in malaysia this past week a kilometer long chute that starts on a hilltop before twisting and turning through dense jungle and splashes into a pool uh, the blue and yellow chute at the Escape theme park runs 1,111 meters. That's 3,645 feet. And it's been uh, noted as the longest slide in the world. That's a long slide. Yeah, a water chute that's uh, 3,645 feet long. My, my daughter is obsessed with water slides. They are kind of fun until you get to the end. Well, the thing the thing for that I find most hilarious is that uh, we went to a water park on our most recent vacation. Because she's she's seen like videos on YouTube, she loves to watch water slide videos, mm-hmm. um, and um, we, we don't let her watch them that often because, well, quite honestly, it's boring watching people go down water slides. Um, but um, she's like, "I want to go to water park. I want to go down water slides," and she was pretty much scared of all the water slides. Yeah, they can be you go even, even the ones designed for children her age. Uh, she's like, ah, "I don't know. You're obsessed <laughs> with them. Why won't you go to?" Oh, it, it took a little coaxing. She'd go down one of the one, of, I think one or two of them. I mean, she's very proud of herself, but uh, that's the type of one she would watch on on uh, on um, on a YouTube video and go, "I want to go, I want to go." If we went to Malaysia for some reason, um, the, uh, the the reality is she, she'd never get on in a million years. But they're fun to watch. Other even people. I think even as an older child, I think we'd have trouble getting on there. <laughs> well, we'll see. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on a fun Friday afternoon. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll wrap things up and let you know, at least in part, what's coming up next week. So stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. We'll tell you a little bit of what's coming up next week in just a moment. But before I do, I want you to hear this story, James. I want to hear this story. Uh, I was uh, thrilled to hear about how you proposed to your bride, and I can't believe I didn't know that. I don't, all the I, questions that I asked you about every aspect of your courtship and all of that. I, I mean, you had your nose seriously in my business at that time, yes, period. I did. I didn't so want I'm you amazed you didn't it. know that. I did not want you to blow it, but you've uh, done quite well. I have, I have. Anyway, um, John Neville, he wanted to propose to his girlfriend in an original way. So he planted her ring in the soil of a garden where it remained for three months. It's not wrapped in plastic. It's not hermetically sealed. It's in the dirt for three months. 
Well, this unorthodox proposal was truly a diamond in the rough. Uh, John Neville lives in um, Pinch Gut Lake, Canada. He spent months. Did you say Pinch Gut? Yep. P-I-N-C-H-G-U-T. There may be another way of pronouncing it, but it's Pinch Gut today. Uh, yes, it is. Anyway, he spent months planning a unique proposal for his girlfriend. Her name is DJ Squires. DJ. Okay. Uh, he knew he wanted to pop the question in an original and imaginative way. Then, um, after reading an article about a woman who found a lost wedding ring around a carrot growing in her garden, we talked about that some yep. months ago, he was inspired to create a similar experience for DJ. So he decided to to uh, plot a vegetable-themed proposal at their homestead in Newfoundland, but the idea would take some time and some planning. First, he dug a small hole in a bucket of soil in the garden, placed the ring inside, and used a pencil to carve a second hole through the ring. Then he added some soil, dropped a few seeds in, filled in the hole, and hoped for the best. Three months later, once the sprouts uh, broke the soil surface, it was nearly a proposal time. So he gathered DJ, his fiance, and their son, hmm, uh, pulling some carrots from the side of the bucket. Then he suggested DJ pull one from the center. He, his experiment was successful. She pulled out the perfectly formed carrot encircled with a glittery diamond ring. I was in complete and utter shock, she says. She didn't even know he had purchased a ring. DJ described her now fiance as her best friend. Uh, we do just about everything together. We're enjoying the journey of parenthood while trying to get in as much outdoor adventures as we can. Well, she said, I will. They said, I do. And the rest is carrot history. I mean, obviously, the joke is, you know, how many carrots was the ring? So, you know. <laughs> yeah, but there's, uh, you can see the image of it. Yeah, Nobody I Nobody yeah, else can. That's, that's. The thing that struck me was there's dirt, in, you know, encased around the diamond, around the ring itself. It can be cleaned up, but. Just a little different than I probably would have envisioned. Just a little bit, but, um, you know, it, it's it's a carrot. So, quick question. Will you marry me in a poem? She says, yes. Do you present the ring at that time? How did it go from there? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you're standing there while she's reading it, then rereading it, looking as at she's, the first as letter. She's, as she, yeah, as she, uh, as she read down the, the letters, I, I got down on one knee. Oh, and she said yes. Yep. Where was this? Uh, on a pier in Seattle. Oh, On the Puget Sound at sunset. Wow. A romantic. I I have no idea how you don't. I must have told I, you. Yeah, you. I must had have. to have because I grilled you about every single thing. Yeah, because I seen. In fact, I even remember you had to have known that because it was a rule. I mean, an absolute rule. I was supposed to call you before I called my parents. <laughs> well, that is true. <laughs> and if I remember correctly, you you were on vacation, like in between a cruise or something <laughs> like that. So I was calling you, like. You were in like San Diego or something like that, <laughs> boarding a boat or something. It was something weird yeah. like that. Yeah, that's true. So, I mean, yeah, that Apologize was... Apologize to your dad for me, if you will. I, I will do that. <laughs> yeah, I did pretty much insist on that, didn't I? <laughs> anyway, I think you did a great job and, you know... Now everybody sees what I go through every day. Yeah, every day and on weekends occasionally. All right. Um, want to give you a glimpse of what's coming up in part for next week on the program. On Monday, I'm looking forward to a conversation with Steve Sterling. He is the author of The Crutch of Success, From Polio to Purpose, Bringing Health and Hope to the World. This is a man whose life was inexorably altered by polio, um, and he uses, as the title would suggest, crutches to get around. And uh, once again, it emphasizes the value of those with disabilities to the body of Christ and the kingdom of God. We'll talk with Steve Sterling about that. We're also going to talk with Michelle Malkin, her uh, new book out 
is Open Borders, Inc., who's funding America's destruction. As uh, we mentioned um, earlier this week, she is going to be on a, a book tour that lands in Portland on Tuesday. You can find out all the details at kpdq.com. But I'll be talking with her about the book. And that really is the focus of her book tour, of of course. Uh, so you'll get a, a glimpse of uh, what that is all about. And if you attend the event, uh, the cost includes uh, the cost of a book. She'll be signing them and so on. And again, kpdq.com for more information, or you can call the uh, main switchboard here on Monday for more details. Um, we'll be talking with Lighten Ford on Wednesday, A Life of Listening, Discerning God's Voice and Discovering Our Own. It's a memoir. Lighten Ford may be a familiar name to you. If not, we'll fill you in on Wednesday when he joins me to talk about this um, uh, this memoir that he has now um Released Samuel Hakim, who is the director of Redeeming the Nations, will join me also on Wednesday. This is a an individual I have so much respect and high regard for. I think it's difficult to even express um, the sacrifice that he makes for the sake of the ministry that God has called him to. Uh, Redeeming the Nations, as you might recall, is a ministry to Islam uh, throughout the Middle East and in Africa and Asia uh, to Muslims, and he literally receives phone calls on his cell phone all uh, hours of the day and night, week in, week out, day and night, uh, in order to answer the questions that individuals have about the Christian faith. And they have produced and are producing um, video materials and and so on uh, that helps to call uh, those uh, who don't know Jesus to faith and then to disciple them in some very, very difficult uh, circumstances. The banquet for redeeming the nations is coming up in October, the second weekend in October, and we'll talk about that when he joins me. And if you've never attended, you'd like to learn more about Islam and and uh, how it's it, the church is impacting um, uh, believers, those who are coming to faith in Christ. Uh, it's a great opportunity. There's going to be a tremendous testimony from a woman whose uh, testimony will have your hair standing on on end. Uh, as well as um, other testimony. Samuel Hakim will be speaking and so on. But we'll give you the details. Uh, you can also go to their website, Redeeming the Nations, for more details about that. And then on Thursday, we'll talk with, uh, we're working on this, it's not yet confirmed, but Michael Barone will be my guest, how America's political parties change and how they don't or haven't. Uh, again, we're we're not yet confirmed on that, but we're working on a conversation with Michael Barone on Thursday for that and then anticipating a fun Friday program uh, following Well, there's a new film that tells the story of the fastest growing church in the world, an underground persecuted Christian movement in a country known for exporting radical Islamic terrorism. And uh, the country is Iran. Now, historically, most recently, China has been noted as having the fastest growing church in the world, the underground church that has now shifted, according to this new film, to Iran. People there, a Muslim majority country, are fleeing Islam In droves, as believers bow their knee to Jesus, become aggressively pro-Israel, according to the documentary Sheep Among Wolves, Volume 2. What if I told you Islam is dead, one unidentified Iranian church leader says in the film, which was directed by Dalton Thomas and produced by Frontier Alliance International Studios. What if I told you the mosques are empty inside Iran, he continues. What if I told you no one follows Islam inside Iran? Would you believe me? This is exactly what is happening inside Iran. God is moving powerfully inside the country. Well, he adds, what if I told you the best evangelist for Jesus was the Ayatollah Khomeini, uh, who's brought the true face of Islam to light uh, to light and people discovering um, uh, that they 
um, do no longer embrace it. Well, it's a very interesting documentary. And again, the film is uh, currently available. I don't have all the details yet. And uh, I'm out of time to uh, provide more information, but I will return to the story. The one thing I want to leave you with is the encouragement that in places where you can't imagine the gospel is uh, being heard, uh, where there seems to be very little evidence that there are believers and followers of Jesus, those are the very places where the church is growing in numbers that you cannot imagine. And again, we'll return to um, to this story uh, at a later date. The name of the documentary is Sheep Among Wolves, Volume 2. If you can find it, it's uh, certainly worth seeing, but we'll uh, continue our look into where you can acquire that. Once again, tomorrow, or I should say Monday on the program, we'll talk with Steve Sterling, the crutch of success from polio to purpose, bringing health and hope to the world. And Michelle Malkin, Open Borders, Inc., who's funding America's destruction. I want to thank James Blend for producing and co-hosting today's program, Clark Hilton for engineering, and thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.